Rabbi Ami Hirsch of the Stephen Wise Free Synagogue in New York, and you're listening to In These Times. As someone committed to the liberal tradition, I believe in the value of debate. It is only through disagreement and deliberation that we can evolve. But these days, the conversation feels stifled. Disagree with me and you are my enemy and I will try to destroy you. It's happening everywhere in public life, including within the Jewish community and in the halls of Congress. Here with me today to try to find a way back to the healthy center is Ted Deutsch, a former congressman from Florida. Ted served six terms before retiring in September to become CEO of the American Jewish Committee. Congressman Deutsch, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome to In These Times. Thanks, Rabbi. Terrific to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Let me start by uh, asking you, you've been an attorney, you were an, a congressman representing uh, Southern Florida for 12 years, and you recently came to the American Jewish Committee, the AJC, where you are devoting your life to a certain dimension of public life, but it's different from what you've been doing for the last 12 years. How are you doing? And do you find the organized Jewish community organized? Those two questions, I think, inform one another. The answer to the first is, I'm doing great. I loved my time serving the public. I was in the state Senate for a few years, and then in Congress. I'm proud of the work that I was able to do and the things that I accomplished with my colleagues. But ultimately, there were certain issues that really motivated me and that I was most passionate about. And those are the issues that I get to now focus on full-time. In Congress, we started the bipartisan task force to combat anti-Semitism, and I chaired the Middle East subcommittee, and Israel and the Jewish community, and all things related to both were front and center. So now I get to do that full-time, so I'm doing great because it's a chance to really devote myself to my passions in a place where everybody wants the same thing. Everyone's positive. This gets to your second question, because everyone likes to ask me about the politics in the Jewish community. We can't afford some of the arguments that we tend to get ourselves wrapped up in, although that is the nature of our people, obviously. But everybody wants what's best for the community, and they may have different approaches to it, but there aren't Jewish groups who are spending half of their time trying to bring down other Jewish groups, which is sadly the way that Congress works right now. So I couldn't be happier to have the opportunity to do this full-time with a whole group of committed lay leaders, professional staff, and colleagues throughout the Jewish community, including yourself, Rabbi Hirsch, who are working together to strengthen the small community that we all care so deeply about. Well, as one Jewish professional who's been doing this for over 30 years to a, another new Jewish professional, welcome to the team, and we're very fortunate to have you on the team. You mentioned that everybody in the Jewish community, they're all interested in improving and bettering the Jewish community. One would think that that would be the case in terms of national political leadership as well, that everybody who was sent to Congress, although they may have different perspectives, different worldviews, want to improve American society. Could you elaborate a little bit about the mood in Congress now? Sure. As I always liked to point out to people when I was in my former job, Congress, the U.S. House in particular, really does represent America. There are 435 members from literally every corner of our country, and they come with their own interests, their community's interests, their own politics. 
that sometimes leads to strong differences of opinion. And I think that's fine and healthy and appropriate if that then leads to the kind of debates following which people can come together on acting on behalf of the country. But more and more, I'm not making any brilliant observations. It's just an observation of someone who was on the inside for a long time and is now watching this from the outside where it's become even more readily apparent that so much time is spent in not just laying out positions, but in in performance and in seeking clicks and social media followers. We wind up in a situation where people choose their teams. And that was always the case with cable. It really would upset me that people would only watch one cable network or the other. Now, because of social media, they're zeroed in because of algorithms to very specific views that match their own and that demonize others who don't share them. And that makes it really difficult to work together on behalf of the greater good. And it's unfortunate. I don't think it's permanent, but it's definitely something that we all see and that those of us who now work in the work that you and I do and so many others are engaged in, something that we need to consider because we can never afford to let our small community or the things we care about, Israel, the fight against anti-Semitism, become part of that, that nasty political discourse. Do you think the American political system is less healthy than it was, say, when you first entered Congress? Yes. And there are a lot of reasons. I think that the constant chase for money, the fact that the campaigns cost millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars spent in an election cycle, that's a corrupting influence. And I think that social media and the way social media works using algorithms to really focus on the most emotional issues that riles people up and then add to it the easy spread of misinformation and as we've seen recently the spread of hatred anti-semitism the kinds of things that might have been said in the past in a parking lot or in a meeting of some anti-semitic group in a forest somewhere are now being said by people with massive followings that wound up being spread across the United States and across the world. And all of that impacts the political environment in which our elected leaders are trying to do their work. And are they themselves becoming siloed and you know, more narrow in terms of how they view the world? Or they feel that's the constituency and they need to play to the constituency, otherwise they won't be elected? Well, Rabbi, because of the way the lines are drawn, it's rarely, frankly, it is rarely about appealing to voters. There are just so few districts in America that are really swing districts where the candidates are making the case for why they deserve to win in a what will be a closely contested race. So many, because of gerrymandering and other reasons, so many of the districts aren't competitive. So it's not a question of doing what you need to be elected. It's the fact that so often now, people in politics are rewarded throughout their term or view their rewards throughout their term as the clicks they get, the attention that they receive, the way that others post their speeches online. That's a very different approach. You've always had the media and the role that the media plays, and social media takes that to a whole new level. But there's this ongoing 
effort to win elections, right? It's the election of the day that every social media account provides. And you're not spending all of your time working to get things done so that when there's an election, you can go out and tout what you've accomplished. You're trying to win the day, but winning the day often means trying to take down others who disagree with you and to do it in a sharp and and snappy way that often in so many instances, as we've all seen online, humiliates others. That's not a particularly healthy way to go about the work of trying to craft policies that benefit the majority of the people in the country. I'm sensitive to this. I know I sound like the the person who's just discovered all this after leaving Congress, and I want to get out there and tell the world. But the fact is, I have this perspective, having had that experience for a while, and and I'm trying to use that in my current work at AJC to make sure that our organization, which is fiercely centrist and nonpartisan, continues to operate that way. It is hard to be in the center, as I'm sure you acknowledge, but it's, I think, where most of us view the important conversations that are taking place. doesn't mean that people won't have their own political views, but we can't be pulled to the extremes. And that's the lesson that I took from my time in Congress. Just before we leave the congressional scene, how is Israel doing now? in Congress, in your view? Is there still a broad bipartisan support for Israel? The answer to that is yes. There is still broad bipartisan support for Israel and the U.S.-Israel relationship. There's a transition in leadership in the House, in the Democratic Party. Hakeem Jeffries, the new Democratic leader, is committed to the U.S.-Israel relationship. I've traveled to Israel with Hakeem he understands the importance of Israel in the region and in the world. My Republican friends understand as well. And there are two things that I think we need to be mindful of. One, we can't just take it for granted that it will always be the case when there are forces out there that would pref that would prefer to see this become a partisan issue, that would like to drive a wedge into the strong bipartisan support that's existed. It's true among those who would like to make support for Israel partisan altogether. Some on the right, I think, would prefer to do that. Some on the left would prefer to see the Democratic Party. It's a small number, but there are clearly a small number of House members now who don't share the commitment to Israel, support for Israel, suggesting that Israel is the only state that doesn't have a right to exist. So we have to push back against the extremes and we have to continue to expose more and more people to what Israel really is. There's a new government there. It is the most right-wing government Israel's ever had. That's not news to anybody. From my perspective at AJC, we're obviously really focused on both Israel-diaspora relations and making sure that the community and, and Israel remain close and that there aren't steps that are taken that would make it more difficult. At the same time, I don't want to do anything that's going to play into the hands, and we should be careful not to play into the hands of those who wish to delegitimize Israel. What is the agenda of the AJC? AJC is the Global Advocacy Organization for the Jewish People. So that means that we carry out that work and our mission of enhancing the well-being of the Jewish people in Israel and advancing democratic values through advocacy. So in the United States, we have 25 offices around the country who are engaged in everything from direct political advocacy with locals and state governments in Washington and with Congress at, in New York, at the UN, that kind of ongoing advocacy, like the advocacy that we engaged into at the UN 
when it came to Iran's brutal crackdown against its own people and our calling for a, a special session of the Human Rights Council, which ultimately the UN pursued. So that advocacy at all forms of government is really a key part of what we do. And it's it extends to capitals around the world. And we've, over years, seen significant advancements like the Abraham Accords, where our office now in Abu Dhabi and our office in Jerusalem play a really critical role. And we've been on the ground in the Gulf for decades, and there's important work to do to expand that. That's the government piece. We also do the same thing with businesses, helping them to understand the challenges of the day, anti-Semitism in particular, so that they can be better allies for their Jewish employees and their Jewish customers. We do trainings for businesses and others. We're engaged at the university level with university presidents and provosts and deans of student life and others, again, to help them understand the challenges that Jewish students are facing on campus. And then finally, those Jewish students through our campus leadership on college campuses and our LIFT program, our Leaders for Tomorrow program in at the high school level in communities all around the country, provides advocacy training and leadership training for the next generation of leadership. And all of this, just to wrap it up together, all of it recognizes that we're a small part of the overall community. So our intergroup work and interreligious work, which we've been leading the effort, whether it's with the Christian church, our Muslim Jewish advisory council, the work that we do at the Vatican, the work that we do in Israel on these issues, the work that we do with black Jewish relations and Hispanic Jewish relations, all of that brings that advocacy together on behalf of our community. Because Rabbi, as you know, when anti-Semitism is present, it's never just the Jews who are at risk. And when we stand up to it, we're actually benefiting society as a whole, which is the critical part of our work. Talk to us about anti-Semitism, both domestically and worldwide, in terms of the interactions that you have. Our impression is, and this is affirmed by certain empirical data, that both the intensity as well as the frequency of anti-Semitic acts is rising. The data is clear about the number of incidents rising. Uh, the data is also clear about the impact that it's having. What I'm really focused on and really, I think, is a great concern that we should all share is the number of Jews in America who have changed their behavior because they don't want to be identifiably Jewish, whether it's what they wear, what they post, how they behave. People are conscious of the anti-Semitism. They carry it on their shoulders and it makes it really challenging. And yes, we've got to be concerned. We've seen it on social media. When Kanye tweeted, went on his rant, it brought attention to anti-Semitism, um, which did two things. One, it sparked a national conversation. I don't remember a time where there was an ongoing conversation for several weeks about rising anti-Semitism and the threats that it poses, even when there were attacks physical attacks on the Jewish community, it's still, again, the power of social media. It took this powerful social media voice to do something as outrageous as he did to spark this conversation. And we need to build on that. It also encouraged anti-Semites to, to come out from under their rocks. And whether it's on social media or the anti-Semitic flyers that they dropped it in Jewish neighborhoods in South Florida, and Los Angeles, and New York, the physical attacks against the Jewish community, especially in New York, the football stadium in Jacksonville where they were putting things on the stadium during the game, the banners that were unfurled on highway overpasses 
when you think about all this together, of course, we need to be concerned about it and we need to call it out and we can't let our guard down. 90% of American Jews believe anti-Semitism is a serious problem. And as I said earlier, 40% of American Jews have concealed their identity in public to avoid being identified as a Jewish. That says an awful lot, not just about our community. It says an awful lot about the condition in our country now. But if I may just quickly pivot to something positive, it matters that while this is happening, there was a roundtable at the White House that the second gentleman married to the vice president, Doug Emhoff, who is a proud Jew, convened Jewish leaders to talk about the need to stand up to anti-Semitism and follow that up with the announcement of interagency task force to bring together a whole of government approach to combat anti-Semitism. This is a really big deal. AJC has played a role throughout Europe in helping governments formulate their plans to combat anti-Semitism in Germany and France at the EU. And we're going to be using that expertise and the, the lessons learned there from those communities to try to help guide the White House in the process that they're engaged in. It is a really concerning moment, but there is a strong response, both the American public, I think, in conversations that are taking place and especially at the government level. You mentioned that AJC is focused, among other things, on Black-Jewish relations, Hispanic-Jewish relations. And you also mentioned Kanye West. You didn't mention uh, Kyrie Irving. And there were a couple of incidences with Whoopi Goldberg as well. Do you think that there is a shift on issues that are important to the American Jewish community and the African-American Jewish community? Is the relationship as productive as it has been in the past? Are there threats to that relationship. As you know, you met my uh, father. He established for the reform movement uh, the leadership on civil rights. He was friendly with Martin Luther King and, in fact, offered office space in his office to Martin Luther King whenever he came into Washington. So that's how I grew up as well. And, you know, we always felt that we had this inseverable bond with the African-American community because we had shared historical experiences and we had a awareness of our minority status in the United States. How is that relationship? And do you think it's coincidental or that there is something about the sentiment in the African-American community that is shifting with respect to Jews and Israel? A couple of things. First, we have a lot in common, obviously, in the lived experiences as minorities in the United States. If you look at the anti-Semitic attacks, the deadliest attack on the Jewish community at Tree of Life, the anti-Semitic shooter went looking to kill Jews. He was a, a racist. The shooter in Buffalo at that grocery store in the black neighborhood was a racist. The shooter in El Paso who drove all that way looking for immigrants to kill was an anti-Semite. Anti-Semitism and racism we see over and over again are in the worst, most dangerous, most vile examples are linked. And as Eric Ward, leader in the black community has said, if you care about fighting anti-black racism in America, then you have to be serious about fighting anti-Semitism. It is true that on Israel, there are some who try to drive a wedge by somehow suggesting that the black community should be less supportive of Israel 
when there are so many in the community who understand the complexity of Israel, the diversity of Israel, who understand that this characterization of Israel as a white European state is just factually wrong, and that kind of education helps. So I think on the on the Israel piece, there just needs to be better education and frank and honest conversation about it. Likewise, the situation in America, I have such admiration for what your father did, and we all know the important role that Jews played in the civil rights movement, but in the conversations I'm having for for young people today, that's ancient history. And while it's really important for us to acknowledge that history, and it's obviously terribly important for us to acknowledge the history of anti-Semitism in our country and the history of anti-Semitism in the world that so often led to violence, we need to be able to talk about where we are. And the work that we do tries to bring together members of the Black community and the Jewish community to talk about the challenges that we're facing right now, and then to build upon those shared challenges to identify ways that we can work together to confront them. It's a little different, I think, than simply expecting things will work out because they've worked out in the past and because in, in the early 60s there were marches that happened. But I think it's a productive way for us to move forward and to recognize that, sure, there are there, there are some challenges, but there is so much more that we ought to be working on together. That's why HAC helped launch the Black Jewish Caucus in Congress. It's why we created the Latino Jewish Caucus in Congress, again, with the idea of bringing together different groups. If we can have meaningful conversations between the Black community and Jewish community and the Hispanic community and the Jewish community, we're not just helping our respective communities at a time of really fraught relationships across politics, we're helping to model what civil discourse looks like. That's a part of what we do that I, I think at this moment also is really critical. You mentioned that AJC is involved in the Israel diaspora relationship. I think a lot about religious ties and historical ties, and we talk in religious terms about the covenant of the Jewish people. But beyond that, we have this historic bond that we believe can't be severed. What's at stake in terms of the Israel-Diaspora relationship? What's at stake if Israel, for example, changes the law of return, if it continues to suppress alternative forms of Jewish expression in Israel, if it passes legislation disqualifying conversions in Israel and makes it harder for American Jews who have been converted to claim citizenship in Israel? Do you think it will suppress the motivation of American Jews to want to work for and volunteer for organizations like the AJC? Will it affect the American-Israel bilateral relationship? I reckon as a Zionist and someone who's spent so much of my life focused on the connection between me and Israel, my family in Israel, the community in Israel, and then ultimately the U.S. government in Israel, we all have to acknowledge that, yes, there's a religious connection and a historical connection because of the connection we feel. And if the government of Israel took action that changed the law of return or the conversion issue, I think is a great one, or if there are changes that undermine the democratic nature of Israel, something that we are all rightfully proud of, if those kinds of changes were to happen, if steps were taken to undermine the ability for Jews of any type from any place, however they identify, however they practice or choose not to practice, if there are policies enacted 
that are meant to make them feel other and marginalized, then of course that's going to have an impact on the community and the way the community interacts with this government, because it will be a statement by the government about how it feels about diaspora Jewry. Do you think, were these things to happen, and the coalition partners insist that they intend for them to happen, would there be greater distancing between American Jews and Israel? Would there be reduced donations from uh, major American Jewish philanthropists? Would people distance themselves from Jewish organizations advocating for Israel? What would actually happen? Everything that Israel represents to us as a historic homeland, given its place in our tradition as a, a refuge for Jews fleeing anti-Semitism around the world, none of those things change. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that none of those things change. If the government of the state of Israel chooses to enact policies that suggest to diaspora Jewry that they are somehow less important or unwelcome, if that's the message that's being sent, that's the message that would be received, which would, I think, impact the way people view Israel at this moment in history. I want to be clear, this is the government of Israel, and we're going to work to ensure that its values continue to reflect that strong support that has always existed between diaspora and the modern state. But at the same time, the underlying fundamental connection that Jews have to Israel, that doesn't go away. It seems difficult to square those two, but you can continue to love the state of Israel and recognize the importance of the Jewish homeland and Israel as a refuge, particularly at a time of rising anti-Semitism, and still work to ensure that the government doesn't take action that would, in this immediate moment, change that relationship as it exists. Congressman, let me ask you one more uh, question as you begin your stewardship of centrally important American Jewish organization. You've advocated for American Jewry in your years in Congress. What's your message to the American Jewish community? This is a time of great challenge. The challenges of anti-Semitism, the challenges of anti-Zionism, the, the anti-Semitism on the far left, on the far right, the violent attacks that we've seen, the role of social media influencers and in spreading anti-Semitic bile. These are real challenges, and we've got to confront them, and we've got to stand up to those who wish to to see the Jewish community attacked and stand up to those who wish to see the Jewish community divided. At the same time, Israel faces real threats. We're going to stand with Israel and standing up to this, the threats of Iran, the threats of violence, the threats of terror. We haven't talked about that at all. They haven't gone away, even as we're focused on the new Israeli government. And it's important for us to continue to stand with Israel that way, even as we work to ensure that Israel continues to be a place that is as welcoming to all of us no matter what our observance level or, or affiliation is, as it has always been, we're dealing with these challenges, but there are still opportunities. It's not either or. At AJC, we are focused on the challenges to the Jewish community, even as we recognize the opportunities to build a strong group of leaders from the future, even as we work to enhance the number 
of countries around the world who recognize Israel as the innovation economy that they want to be a part of and work to expand the Abraham Accords and deepen ties between countries who already have relations that can do more. There is a positive message out there. And fundamentally, Rabbi, the most important message is that we have to do this together. The whole idea that we are one small drop in the ocean of the world's population that has done so much throughout history and is contributing so much at this moment, we have to be proud of who we are as a Jewish people. And when we do that, we strengthen ourselves, we strengthen our place in the community, and we become more resilient in the face of the challenges that we've been discussing. That's how I'm approaching this work, and I'm so grateful to be able to talk about this with you. Thank you. What a great way to conclude, Congressman Deutsch. We want to thank you uh, first for being such a terrific representative, and uh, second for taking professional leadership of one of the critical and great American Jewish institutions. We wish you well on your leadership in the American Jewish community, and thank you for being on our podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Hopefully we'll get to do it again. It's a testament to the excellence of the Jewish community and a sign of the growing urgency of our times that the vital institutions of American Jewish life engage such stellar professionals as Representative Deutsch. Despite the daunting challenges facing our community and our country, we should be proud that the very best of us are still attracted to Jewish leadership. Ted Deutsch was elected six times by his constituents to represent them in Congress. The spontaneous speech he delivered in response to Rashida Tlaib's assault on Israel was magnificent. Do yourselves a favor and watch it on YouTube. That Ted now plays a leading role in strengthening the Jewish community and advancing our values in American society is a credit to the American Jewish Committee and to the American Jewish community. I want to focus on one of the main messages Ted conveyed. In our fractured world, the center must be strong, vital, and vibrant. Ted described how Congress is being ripped apart by performance politics, driven by the need for clicks and social media attention, where those who shout the loudest are the ones who are heard, and fueling a nasty form of a politics of destruction, where people in public life try to bring others down. If you disagree with me on something, then you are, by definition, my enemy, and it is ipso facto evidence that you are either an ignoramus or morally corrupt. And my goal then must be to destroy you. In this environment, it is difficult to get people even to think. An utterly non-political personal decision whether or not to be vaccinated somehow becomes the banner of tribal politics and allegiances. And Ted warned that we cannot let that happen to the American Jewish community. I wholeheartedly agree. Come, let us reason together, the prophet Isaiah urged. We must strive to recapture the center. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about Ted Deutsch's leadership. I do not mean a wishy-washy, flabby center which doesn't have strong beliefs or values and sticks its finger up in the air to see which way the winds of opinion are blowing. I mean a strong, vital, vibrant, tough-minded center driven by values. But it is a center that seeks to bring people together rather than tear them down. It is a center that keeps its eyes on the big picture and the fundamental interests of the community. A center that knows that the only way we can accomplish anything important is to be practical, 
to try to reach consensus around achievable goals. It is a center that values consensus rather than discounts compromises surrender. Our community needs to remember our fundamental values and interests. Practically all of us seek what is best for the American Jewish community and American society generally. Practically all of us are repulsed and worried about intensifying anti-Semitism. We know that it comes from both the right and the left. We do not have to argue with each other so incessantly about what is worse. They are both awful, and both must be condemned. And if it emerges from our own political or philosophical camp, we have a special obligation to condemn it. Practically all of us seek the well-being of Israel. Where we disagree with Israeli policies, a strong, vital, tough-minded center must criticize decisions that are troubling to us. But we must also remember and unite around our commitment to the centrality of Israel in Jewish life and to the security and well-being of Israel, still facing enormous security challenges and vicious enemies. All of Judaism points towards centrism and moderation. Whenever extremism and intolerance gained the upper hand in our community, inevitably it caused devastation and destruction. Talmudic sages taught the ancient Jewish state was destroyed by internal hatred. The rabbis knew all about our propensity towards extremism and warned against it. Maimonides emphasized, pursue the middle path, shvila zahav, the golden mean, the way of moderation. We are commanded to walk in the middle ways, Maimonides wrote, which are the good and the right ways. This is called the way of God. We've been together now for two seasons. If you've enjoyed listening and want even more Jewish substance, I hope you'll pick up a copy of my new book, The Lilac Tree, a collection of my thoughts developed over the past 20 years on life and death, science and faith, politics and morality, the past and the future. It's just been published, and it's available now wherever you can get your books online. If you have a chance to read it, send me an email at ahirsch at swfs.org and let me know what you think. Until next time, this is In These Times. <laughs>